HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And I have a special guest from Japan today. Elizabeth Ando, who was also on episode 18, is here again. And Elizabeth is a food writer and Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. She founded a culinary art program called A Taste of Culture, which offers a unique opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. And she's also the author of six cookbooks, including award-winning Washoku, Recipes for the Japanese Kitchen, published in 2005. And she was a Gourmet Magazine's Japanese correspondent for more than three decades and was a regular co- contributor to the New York Times travel section for many years. And in the last episode, she told us many interesting things about Japanese cuisine, such as five tastes, five colors, five methods. And today we'll discuss another essential concept of Japanese cuisine called Ichimoku Zenshoku and also Tsukushi Kondate. I've never heard of anyone talking about them on American media, so it's, it will be a great show. So hello, Elizabeth. Welcome back to Japanese. Thank you. Delighted to be back again. So um, first of all, for listeners who missed the episode 18, uh, could you please tell us your background, which is pretty fascinating? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I was born and raised here in New York City many, many decades ago and uh, got to Japan by a happy accident uh, in the mid-60s and basically stayed. So I've 
lived most of my life in Japan, uh, early discovered the world of food, uh, partly because um, I was looking for good things to eat myself mm. and curious about how they were made, and uh, began teaching other people in the 1970s. Mm. Um, and ever since have been sort of a resource for people uh, who haven't yet learned Japanese and mm. they don't have access to information in Japanese about Japanese food and food culture. Mm. And along the way, started to write for American publications right. as well. Okay. Right. So you've been in Japan for 48 years. Yeah, 49, something like right. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, the last uh, episode, I learned so much from you. So today, I can't <laughs> wait. Thank you. you are obviously more than uh, me or any, even the food business people, I think, because you are objective view to Japanese culture. Mm, a, different, a different perspective, I think. Mm. Uh, although born and raised in America, certainly most of my life has been spent in Japan. And I'm curious, so mm. I ask questions that other people sometimes right. don't. Yeah, you don't take it for granted. Mm, no. Um, and I think I can get away with asking questions that perhaps Japanese can't. Mm. <laughs> um, and so it's, I get the, boast of the, the best of both worlds. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so now let's talk about today's uh, main topics. And But before we talk about uh, Ichimotsu Zenshoku and the Tsukushi Kondate, I think we should talk about Kansha, or mm. gratitude, uh, which is underlying idea of almost everything in a Japanese society. So what, how important is Kansha, or gratitude, in Japan? Um, very. And what's interesting is that Kansha is not specifically about food. It can be spoken of about almost anything in mm. Japan. You can be appreciative of almost anything. Thing. But when you are talking about food, kansha usually means two things at the same time. It means recognizing what nature provides mm. and also recognizing how clever people are to use what nature has provided mm. and to feed themselves and, and other people. So often it's the ingenuity of people mm. that makes what nature uh, provides uh, edible, palatable, mm. uh, nourishing. Right. Uh, it would otherwise not be. And I'm constantly amazed at the amount of ingenuity and possibly desperation. There was nothing else to eat, so mm. how can we make this, you know, nourishing? Uh, that people uh, in the old days used in order to take... Um, seemingly uninteresting things and be able to make them into full meals. Mm. So, Kansha. And it, it is interesting that this time of year in America, well, Halloween is right around the corner, but just beyond that is Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, and it is referred to in Japanese as Kanshasai, mm -hmm. or the Appreciation Giving Thanks uh, Festival. Um, but certainly in Japan, although most things related to Japanese food have a very deep seasonal association. Mm. Kancha is year-round. It has nothing to do with any particular time of year. I think it's a mindset that people have anywhere and any time. Right. Uh, whereas here, uh, it's very concentrated sort of into Thanksgiving. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, whatever you... You go to Japan and people eat, start eating, they say itadakimasu, right. meaning thank you for this. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a simple given. verb on the one hand, meaning I receive or mm. I, I get, but it has a very special and um, wide meaning and mm, much with many other words in, in Japanese that are aimai, um, they're not very specific. Mm. It, it can mean both thank you to the person who's made the meal 
And thank you to nature or the Mm -hmm. higher powers for having provided it. So again, that sort of double side to to the notion of kansha. Mm -hmm. And it's very much um, evident, I think, in the Japanese kitchen. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing is uh, the craftsmanship, like food, for instance, like, you know, the kombu, uh, there's like a really thinly sliced kombu right. and shaving uh, that's a technique and right. I saw one person he was um, shaving kombu like really thin right. and that kind of culture how, how did he survive for doing it and it's just amazing you know there's appreciation for and who thought to do that I mean some things you can observe other animals in nature and they're nibbling it and they seem to be okay it's not poison so maybe I, as a human being, should try to eat that. But certainly no animal was going to sit and marinate a sea vegetable in vinegar, wait till it got soft, harden it again, and then shave it. Mm. I mean, that was something that only people could think to do. And um, why did they do that? And, And how did it get to be that way? I'm not exactly sure, but it certainly is um, something I, I often think about when I'm uh, using un- unusual ingredients, unusual meaning that most uh, Americans mm-hmm. certainly have never seen them. Um, when I was uh, writing my book called Kancha and wanting to use a lot of uh, kombutsu, dried foods, mm-hmm. uh, partly because they weren't going to spoil and I knew that people were unfamiliar with these ingredients mm-hmm. and they would buy them and maybe use them once and it might be six months before they were going to use it again. <laughs> and um, most kombutsu are okay that way. They're mm-hmm. little friends waiting to be called into action whenever you decide to to bring them out of the cupboard. Um, But I realize most of them are really very interesting products Mm. that are the result of people's um, partly desperation need, but mostly their imagination Mm. um, to be able to think to use it that way. Mm. Right. And then, of course, it's uh, deeply rooted in history, how it was evolving over time. Absolutely. Right. So... So, uh, but, you know, we for listeners who's going to Japan and then they, you know, you feel like you're Japanese, say itadakimasu before you eat. And people are like, oh, wow, you know the culture. Mm, <laughs> I, I guess so. But it is interesting. That's a word that a lot of visitors pick up on very quickly. Mm. Um, many of the people who come to my programs are not resident in Japan, but they're just visitors, and it's a happy accident that my schedule and theirs meet. Mm. And they come to a program, and we do sit down at table, and before anybody digs in, Mm. we say itadakimasu. And it's a word that most of them have heard before and have actually said. I mean, even in a restaurant, people have um, told them that that's what you say before you start Mm. eating. And I think that people are, um, are happy to discover that there's a simple way of saying thank you. Right. Yeah, and I finished uh, with uh, when you finished a meal, Gochisou sama. Thank you. It was yeah. a great feast. Yes. Right. So, yeah, so that's the whole mindset. I, I think so. Right. I think so. Okay, so um, so now, what is the concept of uh, Ichimoku Zenshoku? Um, the simplest way to express it, I think, in English is to use food fully. Um, I sort of prefer that expression to no waste cooking. Um, it's more positive because it's talking about using the whole thing. But ichi motsu is one thing, mm. and zen shoku is to eat entirely. So 
any particular ingredient, um, there are all parts of it that are edible. Um, some vegetables, it's more obvious, uh, root vegetables that have um, actually the root it's still attached, mm -hmm. uh, the skin, the top, right. um, the inside, mm -hmm. and each of those have a different uh, flavor, a different potential for being used uh, in cooking, and to be able to use it all. Mm. Um, the Japanese will often put them together at the same meal, mm. and um, but you don't have to. Uh, what I suggest that people do is I talk about kitchen habits, mm. and there are a couple of habits that I would like people to get into. Right. Um, one of them is to start saving the bits and pieces, the scraps, the peels. Um, eventually, if you're not going to be using them in two or three days, you mm. can always throw them out then. Right. Why toss them into a compost heap to begin with mm. when there might be the chance that you could use it for something else? I think one of the things that most um, cultures do do with scraps is make stock. They throw it into a big pot with water and they'll right. boil it. And that's certainly fine. But there are so many other clever things that you could do mm -hmm. if you're saving and accumulating those bits and pieces. And um, uh, there are sort of mm, three, uh, I guess you'd call them master recipes, mm -hmm. that I often have in mind. Um, one of them is uh, the equivalent of a, a puree or a soup, mm. where instead of just trying to extract flavor and make a stock out of something, you might simmer it just and get, become soft enough that you can make a puree. Mm. And um, a lot of uh, people, even those who go to Japanese restaurants regularly here in America, partly because I don't think there are many restaurants that have uh, sudi nagashi, mm -hmm. a pureed soup on the menu. So mm -hmm. they're not familiar with the fact that the Japanese indeed do have their own version of, mm -hmm. of pureed soups. And um, sometimes they will have the addition of uh, tofu or soy milk. Mm. Uh, sometimes they will be flavored with a bit of miso. And they definitely have a very different um, uh, taste. But the texture is familiar and I think comforting to mm. a lot of people. Interesting. Um, so even if your scraps are not particularly from Japanese vegetables, um, you could make a lovely pureed soup mm. um, out of bits and pieces. And if you were looking for some accent that was going to be slightly different, mm. you might try um, using soy milk or using a touch of miso mm. or soy sauce um, in terms of finishing it off. But um, one of my favorite ways to, um, to use scraps is a dish called kimpira. Mm. And the initial uh, name of that dish came from a character in a Japanese puppet play, uh, Kimpira, who was a spicy right. fellow who was known for his <laughs> bold actions. And um, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the person who wrote it, Shikamatsu Monzaimon, the sort of Shakespeare of, of mm -hmm. Japan, I gather also liked um, food that was spiced with um, shichimi, uh, with, mm -hmm. with different kinds of, of fairly hot spices, which is not always typical of Japanese food. Um, but basically, it's almost anything that's 
cut into thin slices, mm. briefly stir-fried, and then um, finished off with this blend of, of spices. And um, sometimes people, I wouldn't say they're disappointed, but they will comment on the fact that Japanese food is not as spicely, as not mm. as definitively flavored as other Asian cuisines, mm. it seems... Right, you don't cry, you know, like yeah. if you have a Sichuan, right. you actually cry literally. But wasabi, for instance, and shimi, it goes more to your nose and burn, not, doesn't burn necessarily to Right, the well, Sancho was tongue-tingling, right. I think. That's uh, right. But even so, it's an accent rather than a major feature of a dish. Mm. And I think that um, the way in which those definitive spices are used in, Jap in classic Japanese food is as an accent rather mm. than as a, a, an in-your-face, here I am, this is, <laughs> the, this is the dish, like it or not kind of, of thing. But for those people who are looking for more punch, uh, that's the word that a lot of people use when they're describing this to me. It's mm. lacking in punch. Right. Um, if they're wanting a punch, often adding some shichimi togarashi, the right. seven-spice blend, will um, provide that. So this particular dish, kimpira, which is finished with that, seems to be immediately appealing. Mm. Um, it can be done with pretty much any vegetable. Things that I commonly will save would be the peels of potatoes, carrots, mm. daikon, um, celery. Celery is so expensive in Japan, unlike here. Mm, it's very, very cheap. Right. Yeah. Um, and what else? Daikon, of course, mm -hmm. uh, turnips, anything in the turnip uh, family. So you would scrub the vegetable and you, instead of using a vegetable peeler where you're barely mm. um, wiping it off, you do have a use for that peel, so mm. you take it a little bit more thickly and be able to uh, shred it and stir-fry it. Sometimes mm. I use sesame oil for that. Right. And um, you're basically just wilting it with heat, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of um, soy sauce, a little bit of uh, meeting the sweet you mm. know, sake, um, and then finally this explosion of flavor at the very, at the, at the very end. Right. Um, so it would be a way of, of using food entirely, even if it were not at the same, even if it were not at the same meal. Mm, right. For instance, I, uh, when I get, uh, you know, the radish right. with the greens uh, from the farmer's market, I use, uh, you know, radish for salad. Right. And then I usually uh, mix the radish greens with the Swiss chard. They make uh, the combination really interesting and more layered. There's all sorts of things. Um, the other day I was uh, at the Union Square uh, Farmer's Market mm. and happily noticed uh, that the small Japanese turnips mm. are here with the greens still attached. Mm. It's often hard, I find, uh, in farmer's markets, even in America, to find the greens still attached to mm. the vegetable. Mm. In Japan, it's, it's very common. That's the ordinary way, is the whole vegetable gets, mm. gets presented. Right. Here it's often... Um, cut off before it comes to the market, so mm -hmm. you actually have to buy two things. Right. Um, but yes, the greens can be blanched and made into another uh, very common dish, ohitashi. It's mm -hmm. sort of like steeping flavor, and basically it, it's flavor because after you blanch the greens, you let it cool in dashi. Mm. And 
And as it cools down, it sort of draws in the flavor, the umami flavors of the dashi. It could be kept in the refrigerator for a couple of days and mm. then used whenever you you have a moment. Right. Um, and I, I think uh, you you have uh, the recipe of kimchi yes, on I your do. website. So in preparation for today, when we were talking earlier, I said, can I create an extra page? And you said yes. So everybody <laughs> should go to kanchacooking.com. Mm-hmm. And I have a workshop page. And the workshop page was just switched over to uh, Kimpira and using food fully. And you can download a recipe that's, um, think of it as a, a basic uh, sort of master recipe. Mm. It, it does uh, suggest that you use certain vegetables or certain scraps, but the same procedure would work for a lot of a okay. lot of things. Right. Yeah. So that's the foundation of Ichimotsu Zenshaku. Yeah. Right. Indeed. Okay, I'll put uh, the link on, on uh, the show page. So Good. thank you. And so now uh the what's the benefit of Ichimotsu Zenshaku? Of course it's uh um you know you don't waste things. I, I think the benefit is is both personal, environmental or com- or community. Mm-hmm. Um So in terms of personal, it's very interesting that often the nutrients are um, dispersed or not always concentrated in just one part of, especially for vegetables. Mm -hmm. So the leafy greens, for example, of turnips have different nutrients than the root itself Mm -hmm. and also different flavors, um, different textures that are that are possible right. and so you're able to utilize a little bit and mm-hmm. get a lot from it you're, you're right. sort of maximizing on what it was um, in the old days long before there was refrigeration or uh, very swift transportation so that you could you know fly in your ingredients from exotic locations mm-hmm. you pretty much had what you found in your immediate neighborhood within mm. walking distance. And at any given time of year, it was probably only just a few things. So being able to take a single ingredient and find many ways of preparing it mm. and preparing all of it um, was a way of utilizing your food resources to the best benefit right. um, of yourself mm. and also of the environment. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, the what people say, uh, the best part of uh, nutrition, of, say like an apple right. or the fish even, uh, that's between skin and the flesh. Absolutely. So, and yeah. I think, I, I think so. And I think people will be surprised at how much um, flavor is concentrated in things that they just discarded mm. um, what, they, what they've been missing all right. these years mm. um, so we should just take a look and one before you throw it out so, mm. but yeah, think <laughs> about what it might become and um, there's always these little resealable you know, bags that you can put things in and put them in the refrigerator mm. and so maybe you are busy and three or four days later you come back and they're looking pretty sad right. you can always put it in the <laughs> compost heap then but um, before then One of the other habits that I talk about is getting people to look 
in their refrigerator and mm. see what they already have. Okay. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get that yeah. later. <laughs> and so I just remember, so the many people started to be more conscious about reducing waste for ethical, like ecological reasons yes. that we talked. Right. And then, for instance, the ship Dunbarber at mm-hmm. uh, Blue Hill, the Blue Hill Stone Barn, right. held a special dinner series in 2015 called Wasted at mm. uh, Blue Hill in West Village. And uh, he served amazing delicious dishes with ingredients that were normally wasted. And, um, for example, he served a very flavorful bread made of uh, residual beer malt. Hmm. <laughs> that was okay. so tasty. And uh, stew of kale stems and ugly-looking potatoes. And, and I heard that he collaborated with farmers, fishermen, and food processors who also That's felt true. guilty about wasting edible ingredients. So, and I heard the food waste adds up to 6 billion kilos annually in the States. It's amazing how much, um, just a little bit of thought and a little bit of creative energy Mm -hmm. could do to to utilize that. Um, Don't know if now's the right time also to talk about byproducts. And, for example, when you're washing rice and Mm. saving that water. Mm. That's uh, a very... It, it's something that people are always amazed at when mm. they come to programs. Um, I actually save it in a jar because the sediment becomes almost like a paste. Mm. And um, it's wonderful for culinary purposes. There are things you can cook with that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's like a pasta, boiled pasta water. Yes. Mm. Um, but also the sediment from Togijiru is a wonderful hand cream. Wow, and it deodorizes your hands. So if yeah, so after you've like filleted a fish, mm. and you rub that on your hands, right. it takes away the odor. Okay, and yeah, sometimes pots and I use a uh, toothpaste. Too, but I, it's not. It's chemical. It's chemical, and, and then it's going to taste like peppermint. Right? Exactly. <laughs> this, this is really neutral, right. and um, it also works for like garlic mm. um, and other very strong. Uh, smells that might be left on your hands. Right. Yeah. So, listeners, when you wash uh, rice, <laughs> right. save, save the water. The water. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, so now, uh, what is uh, tsukushi kondate? Okay. Um, it's another sort of aspect of this ichimotsu zenshoku, we're using food fully, and that is to take an ingredient and create a meal from it. Mm. And what is interesting is the original Iron Chef in Japan <laughs> was sort of not mocking, but using that as a basic premise mm. for making a meal. And indeed, in the culinary arts in Japan, it's very common, not as a challenge per se, but um, for people to be asked to create a meal mm. uh, focused or themed on a single ingredient. Uh, some of it is recognizing uh, season and uh, the fact that for some foods, uh, shun or that peak of flavor is going to be very limited, mm. maybe a few days or a few weeks out of the year, and then you have to wait another whole year before you can get it again. Mm. So you're really wanting to enjoy the moment, and one of the ways of enjoying the moment is to focus on that ingredient mm. and use it in, in many different ways. Um, some of it probably had to do with limited availability, again, at any given time of year in any given location. You might have had only a few things mm. available to you, right. and how could you possibly um, use them 
to best advantage. Right. So, um, you know, I had a conversation with the Kaiseki mm. chef, and he said there are 24 seasons in Kaiseki cuisine, and that means this it's only a couple of weeks of this ingredients available, so you have to make the most of it. This the the whole dinner theme down there. That specific ingredient. I, I think so. I mean, even now, this trip less than two weeks away from Japan, but I know when I get back to Tokyo, there will be things in the market that weren't there two weeks ago, mm. and that some of the things I'm already going to miss. Right. I, somehow, I, I didn't get my last <laughs> chance to, to eat them. I have to wait another whole year. So, yes, just about every ten days to two weeks there's mm. a real turnover right um yes i have to say that uh, in september i was in japan and okay. uh, you know only a short trip okay. but then um it was uh, you know pacific story uh, yeah. it's a uh, summer that was the best season it's the fattiest and they say right. toro yes of summer so i well, i think it's better yeah <laughs> i i prefer it. <laughs> and then uh, it's only runs for a couple of weeks and every restaurant i visited Right. We have summer. So what's interesting is that often, um, especially chefs, I think, will um, showcase an ingredient to showcase themselves, mm. and that that's really the best way. So not the chef who can um, bring in exotic ingredients and odd things or, or you know, challenge people's taste buds, mm. but rather take very simple, basic seasonal ingredients and be so imaginative and and so skilled right. that they can make that ingredient taste mm. 12 different ways. Right. So it's like, mm. uh, for instance, in the summertime corn, it can be right. a soup, can be, a, um, you know, like roasted or... I love tomorokoshi gohan to make, mm. to cook it into rice. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely wonderful. Right. The color is yellow yeah. and the white. And by the way, when you're just boiling corn, boil it in tokijuru in the leftover water from mm. um, rice washing. It is so much sweeter. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it's wow. really wonderful. Mm. Yeah. I need a tank for <laughs> <laughs> wash rice right. water. Right. Um, okay, so... Yeah, let's uh, take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, Elizabeth's special tips not to waste (laughs) food in your fridge. So please stay with us. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Elizabeth Sando, who is a food writer and a Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. So、um, I heard that、uh, before your husband retired several years ago, you lived、yeah. a double kitchen life. Right. <laughs> and maintaining homes in Osaka and Tokyo. And how did you manage not to waste food in、uh, two fridges? It was hard.、Um, I. Never could remember what was in what refrigerator, and I would, was constantly moving back and forth and would eat more in cycles.、Mm-hmm. So I would maybe be in, in the same kitchen for three or four days in a row and then leave and then have to come back again. And、um, I would get into the habit, and it was one that I wasn't aware of, I don't think, before, of constantly checking out what I had.、Mm-hmm. And、um, Not necessarily trying to remember, but each, each day sort of taking inventory、mm. um, and then performing what I would call triage. I, I grew up in a family of, of medical people,、mm-hmm. and there was often medical vocabulary being used <laughs> for, for the most ordinary things. And, and triage is when you're sort of deciding which. Things can be salvaged, what can still be saved、um, mm. before it's, it's going to、uh, be beyond、mm. uh, repair or, or beyond help. Right, so you prioritize how seriously that someone is injured or that t h i n g Right, and, and so the same for the vegetables.、Um, uh, how sad and wilted is that? Half a, a pepper in the back of the refrigerator that you forgot about.、Um, is there still something that you can do with that?、Um, you know, again, pota- potato that's, that's looking less than happy.、Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what about some of those more staple?、Um, Uh, seasoning ingredients. People often ask me about miso. Miso doesn't spoil,、mm. but it certainly does lose its aroma and its oomph, its, its power.、Mm. And there are ways of、uh, revitalizing it by infusing it with new flavors and making flavored miso、mm. pastes that you can make tengaku and slather on and other things.、Um, so it's constantly being aware of what's in. Your kitchen,、mm. uh, the refrigerator, the cupboard,、um, and thinking about、uh, what kind of a meal you need to make.、Mm. Uh, I think that in that regard,、um, the sort of the very simple washoku,、uh, five colors, five flavors, five ways, is sort of a roadmap、mm. to getting from the kitchen to the table.、Mm-hmm. And very quickly, at a glance, you can tell that. Mm, gee, there's nothing、um, yellow.、Uh, and maybe a wedge of lemon would do it.、Mm. Or maybe I want to、um, use、uh, I don't know, a yellow squash or, or something and add it to the meal.、Um, so it's, it, it's a way of assessing what you have、mm. and、um, imagining what you need to create from it. Right. Okay,、uh-huh. so for listeners, you need to listen to episode 18 to learn to, the basics of five tastes, five colors, five mothers. <laughs> a, bit, a, a, a bit of that. And、um, can I share with readers that when、um, Akiko first contacted me, I said, Can I ask you what's in your refrigerator? And you said, Okay, <laughs> so tell everybody what's in yeah, your refrigerator. So, yeah, what, what the, do we need to make a what, meal what, from? <laughs> what's been sitting?、Um, half a nap of cabbage. And red and yellow peppers from the farmer's market. Okay. And、uh, collard greens. Okay. And a can of sardine. Okay. 
Um, the can of sardines I, I wouldn't normally have. I might have dried, you know, niboshi in my okay. kitchen. But the, the sardines, I would probably either make into something called skudani, which is a soy stewed, you can sort of give it extended shelf life and it's mm. a nice little condiment to have with rice or even as a beer snack mm. um, afterwards. Um, anything that's going to be leafy green, the collard greens uh, included, I probably would do in this uh, ohitashi method where you briefly blanch it mm. and then uh, allow it to cool, but not just submerge it in cold water because then it's going to taste like cold water nice. instead you're going to let it cool naturally in dashi it's a very simple broth and even if you don't want to make a complete dashi that includes the fish flakes and all the rest of it even just a piece of kombu mm-hmm. allowed to soak in water right. uh, so dashi can be made out of a kombu or the, the flaky bonito or the dried fish right or right. just kombu uh, if, if nothing else, just a piece of kombu mm. sitting in, in water for mm. a while mm. uh, has an enormous amount of flavor. And most vegetables will absorb the flavor of the liquid that they cool in. Mm. And so the collard greens will taste like better collard greens if they're allowed right. to cool in dashi instead of mm. submerging them in cold water. And, and once you've done that, you can then finish them off in different ways. Mm. One of the simplest, I think, is to toast some sesame seeds and, and mm. either grind them or even whole, just tossed on right. top. Um, mm. Or more of the uh, fish flakes, if you want to roast them and put them on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make okaka, is what it's sometimes referred to. Mm. Um, but being able to uh, blanch off the greens while they're, they still have some life to them, where you can still sort of save their flavor and mm. save their nutrients, and then have them available for several days in the fridge. Um, your half a pepper probably would be a great candidate, candidate for kimpira. Mm, um, interesting. You can yeah. make kimpira oh, with the pepper. Delicious. Wow. Absolutely delicious. So you can do it in just one color or three colors or mm. whatever. And they could be very thin slivers. They could be sort of thicker strips, right. uh, depending upon how much texture you wanted left when you were finished. Mm. So definitely go download the recipe for, for kimpira and, right, that uh, makes sense. and try doing that. And for cabbages, one of the easiest is a what I call an impatient pickle mm-hmm. or a quick fix pickle <laughs> because you don't have to wait for terribly long. Um, it's basically giving it a massage with salt. Mm. Uh, like a really hand massage. A hand massage, momi momi, shio momi. Mm. And one of the easiest ways to do it without special equipment is to take probably the freezer uh, bags are stiffer, so they're going to be easier to squeeze okay. um, rather than the regular you know, uh, bags, that you, resealable bags. Mm-hmm. Chop up your cabbage. Also, cucumbers are great, or mm. radishes, thinly sliced. Put them in the bag, toss in some salt, and then squeeze. And wow. the amount of pressure should be the kind that feels good if you had sore shoulders. That's <laughs> um, just right. So sort of think, hmm, oh yeah, no, maybe over here I want just a little <laughs> bit more. And before you know it, you have some liquid that's coming out, the brine. Mm. Um, and depending upon how strong you want the pickle... You could let it sit there for several hours, even several days in the refrigerator, and it would really develop flavor. Um, But it's ready to eat, um, rinse off the extra salt, squeeze it out, but it's ready to eat in maybe 10 minutes. So it's really an impatient 
and impatient I'm people. Do that tonight. Yeah, Good. I'm very impatient. I can't wait for eating. <laughs> the other, the other, you can add other flavors to it. One of my favorite is uh, ginger juice. Mm. So if you grate a piece of, of ginger and squeeze it to get the juice, and you add it to the bag after I, you get the, the liquid, mm, you get the kick. That you get the, uh, just a little bit of kick, <laughs> a little bit of extra flavor. Right. So um, that's an that's an easy set of things right. but I would so each time I would go back and forth living my tale of two cities in, in the two different kitchens I would discover when I got back to the other kitchen I thought I had cleaned it out before mm. I left but I always ran into some reason why I was in a hurry and I didn't <laughs> and so I would find these mm, what I call less than happy looking things in the refrigerator and the first thing I would do is imagine how to salvage them, how to save them, mm. how to give them another life. So, listeners, triage. Triage, triage the word. yes. <laughs> Culinary triage. That's that's the way to go. Right. Okay, so now I have to mention it. So, because you're such a great, uh, talented uh, teacher as well. Um, you recently released a wonderful Japanese cooking video program called uh, Japanese Classics, Teriyaki, Tempura, and More, with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Sando on Craftsy. Right. So I already watched uh, some classes and they were super practical <laughs> and useful. So I just suggest anyone who is interested in cooking Japanese food at home uh, watch it. And maybe you can tell us about the program. Okay, thank you. It was something quite new for me. I'm not used to being in front of a camera. Um, uh, you you did really well. <laughs> uh, thank you. I I became more comfortable as as we were um, filming, and and the people uh, who the director was wonderful, uh, Jared. Uh, but it was a whole new way of teaching for me. Mm-hmm. I was used to the written word and people having reference to it later, mm-hmm. and I'm used to cooking live in person, where it's really an impromptu. It's more impromptu. I, I have things planned, but they never turn out exactly as they were planned. Mm-hmm. Um, and here there was an opportunity to really focus on technique mm. and to be able to show people very simple, very effective things that are difficult to describe in just words. Mm. And they're difficult to describe with still pictures. They're really action um, and elapsed time. You can talk about two to three minutes and what you're looking to happen, the color is going to change or mm. it's going to change. But being able to actually do it in real time um, on the Craftsy videos was really exciting. As a teacher, it was mm-hmm. exciting. It allowed me to do um, different things. And in their uh, system, they have the ability to do a 30-second playback mm-hmm. um, so that you can watch the same right. 30 seconds mm-hmm. as many times as you need to see it right. in order to really understand. They were also great because they had cameras at different angles. Mm-hmm. So that you could see, and and we took one take. I would look at it and I'd say, no, I, I think it needs to be the other camera. Mm. And they would retake it. Wow. Um, so it was really um, an exciting opportunity and something I had never really um, thought of doing before. Mm. Also, there's a, a Q&A. Uh, it is written, so there, there are typed answers to it. And... Um, it's it's interesting the questions that people ask me. So anybody who signs on to the program can ask those questions, and I'll give you answers. Um, 
and some of unexpected questions. So it's been very educational for me mm. um, to see what people ask, okay. e- even though they're able to go back and look again. At, at well, one of the things uh, I, I saw the yeah. uh, like little tricks, but very important tricks, right. like you know, removing the bitter head part from yes. uh, dried fish, and you know, people never pay attention that much. And, and, and you can talk about it, and you can tell people about it, you can have a, a still picture of it, but people still don't mm-hmm. get it. Right, and how do you it. remove that small part? Is that you showed it? And, and my hands aren't messy. It's not <laughs> grotesque. It's just, and it takes two seconds. Right. And it makes all the difference in the world. Right. So that kind of, yeah. uh, you know, on demand, and uh, you can really see it. Because, you know, is reading cookbooks, sometimes doing origami by reading it, which is right. a way more complicated. But I, I really find this very useful. Good, I'm I'm glad. So it was it was fun to do and um, very educational for me as mm. a teacher. Okay, yeah. but as a student, I learned a lot too. Good. So um, so where can we take uh, the cooking classes? And the crafty. If you go to my main website, tasteofculture.com, mm-hmm. um, there are links to it, and if you use those links, you get a discount mm-hmm. um, and. Why not? Um, You could also go to craftsy.com and and do a search for Japanese. I'm the only teacher that's doing Japanese cooking classes. Mm. Um, Yeah, and I found it's it's six classes, very basic, covers everything. And uh, only $25? Uh, something like that. that. So I'm like, wow, that's (laughs) to me, it's just uh, without going to school. They're, They're not necessarily the most interesting recipes, but they're very uh, important ones, mm-hmm. and there were certain things that they really wanted me to include that mm. I was surprised. Uh, but it, uh, it's a great collection. Mm. It's a, it's a very basic collection of um, recipes and techniques. It's very technique focused. Right. Yeah. So the dashi and uh, the rice basics, right. cooking with miso, salads and quick pickles, skillet right. skills, and deep frying, yeah. including And tempura. also teaching people the word gaman. <laughs> and what that means, not to mess with the food, that you really have to just wait mm, sometimes, right. patiently wait. Mm. <laughs> hard. With respect. It's very hard. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, I learned so much from you again today. So thank, thank you, you for joining us today. Thank you. So listeners, if you'd like to know more about Elizabeth's projects, please visit uh, tasteofculture.com. That's one word, uh, tasteofculture.com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at japaneats at heritageradionetwork.org. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes and Stitcher podcasts. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And today's show is made possible by Corin and our engineer is David Tatsuyore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.